when dad injured his back, when your basketball star tore his ACL, opioids helped with the pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Opioids are powerful pain-reducing prescription medicines, but most people who are prescribed opioids don't finish their prescriptions. So millions of unused opioids are sitting in homes across the country. And tragically, more than 100 Americans die every day from overdoses involving opioids. What can you do to protect your family? Remove the risk of unused opioids from your home. Pills, patches, or syrups in drawers, purses, and cabinets. Anywhere they might be hiding. To find out how to dispose of them properly, visit www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm not a kid. So get your facts straight. It's my quarterback. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. We suck. We talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about practice. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Be a dog. We don't need no meows. We don't need no cats. We need more dogs. Man, did this dude just did this? My best advice to you, shut up. Get some facts and come back and see me. Next question. You're listening to Caleb and Kenny in the morning on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome, welcome, welcome in and happy Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, thanks for being with us. Nice morning. It'll be a chilly night, but uh, good night for high school football. Semi-states coming up tonight across the area. Four games. We'll preview that later on this hour. Also this hour, we'll talk about IU Wright State. The Hoosiers look good offensively, defensively. Some questions and a key injury to monitor moving forward. Jim Harbaugh, after all of this, has accepted the three-game suspension. Get to that this hour. Also in hour number two. This IU team can be good, but only under one condition. We'll get to that and what that is. College football Saturday will preview the games, including Notre Dame, Wake Forest, IU, Michigan State, and Purdue Northwestern. And a story that's getting a lot of buzz, and Justin can talk about this back in his newspaper days. I mean, I can talk about this just reporting on, on the, the news side and radio for many years. Uh, but Teresa Thompson, who's with... Thursday Night Football on Prime. She's the host. She's also a, a sideline, been a sideline reporter for Fox and, and other outlets. She said something that I think made every media member cringe. And I couldn't believe she actually said it. We'll get to that around 8.30 or so. And before we leave you, a buzzing sound is uh, bothering people in Northern Ireland. We'll explain mm. what's going on. This is a very bizarre story, so we'll get to that before we wrap up. Plus... Uh, We're out of IU Michigan State tickets for today, but we do have another pair of tickets that you can win. So uh, actually not a pair, a a four pack. So we have Comets tickets. So yesterday on the Sports Rush, they gave them away for Saturday. And today we'll give them away for Sunday. So a four pack of tickets to Sunday's game uh, for the K's. 
Uh, let's see. Let's. Who see. are they playing? Wheeling? I believe so. The Nailers? Yes. So the keyword is Nailers. Yeah, let's do that. Nailers to 46862. Again, Nailers to 46862. The, the key thing is don't enter if you can't pick them up before 5 p.m. today at the station. Yeah. Come <laughs> on, people. Like, you have to pick them or up else, at the station. So, um, Or else we'll, an employee is going to be going to the yes, game on correct. Sunday with your tickets. So, again, make sure you can pick them up before 5 p.m. We'll pick a winner at the end of this hour to give you more time to be able to uh, get these tickets. But, again, just text Nailers. To 46862, and you will be entered. Military Appreciation Weekend for the Ks. They'll be wearing special Black Black Snakes-themed jerseys out at the Coliseum this weekend. And have you seen the new Black Snakes? They're they're transitioning now from the A-10s. Uh, back to, I think they're getting F-16s, aren't they? Yes. New models. They, of they have them already. Do they're they have quite, all of them? Yeah. I, I hear them either here at the station or over my house. Or at home, yes. Because you live A lot louder. A lot, lot louder, a lot faster yes. than the A-10s. That's for sure. But uh, cool jerseys that the Ks will be wearing tomorrow night and Sunday against Toledo tomorrow and Wheeling on Sunday. So text NAILERS to 46862. All right, so headlines this morning, and we start with Thursday Night Football for once a good matchup for Al Michaels to call. Unfortunately for him, it resulted in some injuries. Uh, You have Joe Burrow go down with a wrist injury. Uh, He left the game in the second quarter. You had Mark Andrews, the tight end for the Ravens, go down with an ankle injury. He's believed to be lost for the season, Uh, so that's not good. Lamar Jackson was shaken up as well. So, all that to say, the Ravens get a 34-20 to win over the Bengals. This was shaping up to be a really good game before Joe Burrow went out, and Jake Browning just wasn't able to do much of anything. Didn't turn the ball over, but it really took the sails out of the Bengals' offense for sure. And the Ravens now go to 8-3, and three, and now all of a sudden we look at the Bengals, similar to where, while we're looking at the Buffalo Bills at 5-5, five and five, and saying so your margin for error is shrinking if you want to make the playoffs. So the Bengals and the Bills, both trendy Super Bowl picks, if you weren't going to go with Eagles or Chiefs, both of them through 10 games, just 500. And for the Bengals, yes, I mean, Joe Burrow's battled injuries, but it seems to be he's battled injuries his whole career. This is nothing new, I guess. And, and the fact that the Bengals didn't have the injury excuse early in the year, they just simply started slow. And you can't start as slow as they did uh, at one in three and make up ground every single year. It's just, it catches up to you eventually. Well, I think Joe Burrow is still kind of uh, coming back from injury earlier in the season, but it's obvious that without Joe Burrow, this team's not uh, not even a, a playoff team, let alone a Super Bowl contender. So we'll get some more clarity today about the wrist injury for Joe Burrow. He was visibly... Um, in, in pain when trying to throw on the sidelines, when trying to make it work, wasn't able to make it work. So we'll see what the long-term prognosis is for Joe Burrow, who at the time of him leaving the game yesterday was 11 of 1,701 yards at a touchdown. It was a very much a back-and-forth game, particularly in that second quarter. But Burrow goes out, Bengals score just a single touchdown after that, and it was the Ravens with the 34-20 victory. Elsewhere in sports and Major League Baseball, several news items coming out. Uh, Shohei Otani, Ronald Acuna Jr., both unanimous MVP award winners for 
their leagues. This is really not a surprise for either of them, just dominant seasons. And I think the the other big news out of baseball, uh, Major League Baseball owners approved the athletics plan move to Las Vegas. Now, this was uh, basically all a formality, but this makes it as official as it can get. Now, the real issue is, you know, <laughs> what happens as far as where they play. So uh, this is not not looking to be like a really good setup for the team because their lease runs out at the Oakland Coliseum after next season. And they got to solidify plans before 2028 on where they're going to play. So because that's when the new options. stadium will be ready. There's a variety of options. You could technically still play at Oakland Coliseum if you wanted to. I imagine you won't have very many fans that come out. But you could still play, just do a year-by-year lease. But there's other discussions about, it seems the most the most uh, favorable is playing at Las Vegas Ballpark, the home of the A's AAA affiliate, the Las Vegas Aviators. And that opened in 2019. Can seat around 10,000 with standing room only tickets, which would be more than enough for several <laughs> Oakland A's games last year. Be like a crowd and a half. Right? So... That's kind of the option. It's not ideal, of course, but I started thinking about this yesterday because everybody's talking about the ownership of Oakland and how they're they're cheating over Oakland and stuff. It's just the the city of Oakland never seemed to want to meet Oakland halfway. And in the end, this is a franchise that's owned by a guy that can do whatever the hell he wants with the team. It's his team. And for him to want to move, as some people may not like it, but he owns it. John Fisher owns the Oakland A's. He can do whatever the hell he wants. And I just find it hard to feel bad for an Oakland team or for a city outside of the fans. I'm talking about the actual, the, the government that, that, that wouldn't meet John Fisher halfway. Did he have some, some, some demands that were maybe... Uh, very aggressive, sure. But if the Oakland A's are important to your city, you would have done a better effort in keeping them. And now Oakland's headed to Vegas. It's worked with the Knights. Yes. Uh, it's worked with the Raiders. Those are both questions. So we think, man, are people really going to go to Las Vegas Knights games and our Golden Knights games and, and Raiders games? And they have. Let alone the Aces in the WNBA. You've right? had a lot of success. So I see this working in Oakland and I can imagine there's going to be a hell of a lot more people going to Oakland A's games in Vegas than there was in Oakland. And uh, the other thing, no relocation fee in this, and Rob Manfred citing the cost of the stadium, $1.5 billion. I, I mean, stadiums are expensive. Here's the thing, though. It's going to be the smallest stadium once it's built, once it gets approved. Obviously, that's step number one. Uh, a 33,000-seat stadium, smallest in Major League Baseball, but nearly 2,000 seats. Obviously, they're going to rely on tourists to go to games. And I think... That is an element that will help, and that helps Vegas quite a bit. And and look, we all know an NBA team coming to Vegas is going to happen probably, what, in the next five years? Yeah, I I mean, that that would be a shock, whether that's an expansion or a relocation. Either way, though, that's going to happen. So really the thing to figure out in the short term, we've talked about this before, are they going to have to play the the Las Vegas AAA ballpark? Um, Because that seems like the best option. For a bit, will they have to play in San Francisco for a year? Figuring those things out is the next step. Text coming in four six eight six two, echoing what I just said. This is not an ownership problem; it's a city problem. The fans have no one to blame but themselves. 
Their city leaders chased out the Raiders and Golden State Warriors, and they continue to vote them in. This is what you get. I, I completely agree. Has John Fisher rubbed people the wrong way for comments and actions? Definitely. But this is a two-way street, and Oakland didn't do its part. Not with Oakland or with the A's. It didn't do it with the Raiders. It didn't even do it with the Warriors. And, and, and now you're left empty in terms of professional teams in Oakland. And, and, and I, I totally agree with the texter. It's that people want to vilify John Fisher. That dude is looking to make money and win championships. And he was like, I will invest in this team if the city invests in us. They didn't, so he didn't. I mean, look, if you're an owner, you want to go where a city or state government wants you pay money and wants yeah. you, I, I get it. I mean, as a, as a sports fan, I hate that owners largely still rely on government officials to fund their pet projects, but as long as that money keeps coming through, they're going to keep doing it. And no. it's going to take people yep. saying no to, to, uh, to, to force their hand and look, Oakland forced Fisher's hand and he moved the team. And all you, and needed, all you need is one city to say yes, and Vegas said yes. And there's always going to be a yes, yes, right? Totally. There'll be a lot of no's. There will always be a yes. And I think that's really the, the biggest factor in all of this. Uh, the latest on the Pac-2. So uh, a couple of things. The judge has issued a, a pause on the Pac-12 uh, control now. There was a, a ruling that came out the other day, earlier this week. So, uh, again, it's just a, a motion to stay, Tuesday's ruling. Um, there's no board action without unanimous consent of the 12 current members. So that's step number one. Step number two is that Oregon State and Washington ta- State, the two teams left behind, they're working on a, a scheduling deal so that they can schedule with the Mountain West. Again, all this makes a lot of sense. We expected something along those lines anyway. So how's this really going to work? So are they really going to be a conference of two teams? Are, are, yeah. I mean, they can do that until 2025. They have a two-year window okay. to try to figure that out. Will they try to take Mountain West teams at some point? Why would the Mountain West want to play with them, I guess, if those two programs and schools are going to try to take some of their teams. I mean, I think that's eventually they're going to merge together with some sort of conference. It's just a matter of when, not if, and they're, they're trying to kind of figure this out and how it would work. So think of it like Notre Dame's, you know, agreement with the ACC, essentially that would be kind of what Oregon state and, and Washington state are doing in the short term. My guess would be though, Obviously, they need to join a conference. They'll they'll still act as an independent, but they'll have a scheduling alliance playing a lot of Mountain West teams. Dex coming at ZK. Just hearing Pac-2 cracks me up for some reason. I, I agree. The Pac-2 looks pretty powerful with Oregon State, Washington State. I hope it works out for them, but I, I don't think it's going to. I, I, you're, I could see the Mountain West going, you know what? We're just going to uh, to be the conference out West. I don't know. If anything, maybe the Mountain West just moves to the Pac-2 to adopt the Pac-12. They just want the name. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a better brand, right? <laughs> Why not adopt the name? It absolutely is. To me, it just it seems very obvious that that's the brand you'd want to adopt. Another text rolling in on stadiums at 46862. Stadiums are not pet projects. 
Well, I, I don't think the stadium is. I think they are for ownership when they want a new stadium. Because, yes, Oakland has needed a new stadium for a long time. But for the owner, I mean, that is their big project. Uh, stadiums are city assets. Will a new stadium host concerts, other sporting events, social events? Will bring in hotel, gas, food, money? A million times it's been proven yes. Look at downtown Fort Wayne. The team needed a stadium. The city didn't get any to do its part. Vegas did. Good for ownership. Yeah, I don't uh, disagree I, uh, with ownership. No, I agree. I think people want to make John Fisher this villain. He's got to do what he's got to do, man. The d- dude owns the team. He can do whatever he wants. Everybody's like, oh, he didn't invest in anything. Well, the city of Oakland didn't invest in the Oakland A's either. But the, the stadium is his pet project, I guess is what I'm yes, saying. Yes, the pet project for Vegas. Yes. Yeah. And your issue is commanding millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases for a city to pay for a stadium. Yeah, I, I just quite simply think... You know, these people are billionaires, billionaires. They can pay for the stadium. Why the cities and and state governments continue to give money to these people when they should be paying for it themselves? My big thing. There are plenty of examples of owners paying for it for themselves. And and my big thing is it it adds adds more taxes because whether it's a food and beverage tax or whatever in this city and county to pay for stuff, taxes never go away. Yep. Yeah. Kind of like that Coliseum tax yes, that never went away. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So there will be an additional tax to pay for stadiums. And trust me, those taxes are never going away. Once a tax is in, it never leaves. So whether you say, hey, we're going to up the cost of this, that, the other, we're going to add a tax to pay for this project. And then when it's done, it goes away. It never goes away. Okay. That's my big thing is to finance these projects you're adding taxes and you can do all the economic studies you want and add millions and billions to the economy. I get it. But the fact of the matter is you're adding taxes that are never going away. Let's just put it this way. The Coliseum in Fort Wayne, if they were able to host concerts on Friday and Saturday nights during Comet season, they'd make more money. We've talked about that before in terms of a downtown stadium big enough to host the Comets and opening up those dates for the Coliseum. Coliseum would make more money from those than they do the comments. Because you could attract more concerts with better dates. Plain and simple. Yes. Fridays and Saturday nights. Uh, Pacers got some good news on Jalen Smith. He was back at practice. Uh, Remember, this comes after they had the buyout with Daniel Tice, uh, one of their other centers. Smith took an elbow to the head from Marcus Morris Jr. uh, during Tuesday night's win over the 76ers. Uh, So he suffered a, a head injury. But again, back at practice tests. Came back negative for Jalen Smith. So good news for the blue and gold. Yeah, good news that it's not going to be anything uh, long-lasting. Yeah, unclear if he'll play for uh, Sunday's home game against the Magic. But again, there's there's a chance. And I think that's that's trending in a positive direction. And speaking of stadiums and local stadiums, the new turf is up at Parkview Field for the Tin Caps as they're upgrading uh, the field, among other amenities. Uh, this off season, but the new turf is laid out and uh, they're letting that sod uh, fill in and hopefully, you know, it's ready to go by next spring. Looks good as it's being laid down. And uh, while it may feel it is November heading into the thick of winter, hopefully it doesn't feel like too long until we're talking opening day for the tin caps. Four, six, eight, six, two is how you reach us on the text line. Four, six, eight, six, two. Don't forget. You can text nailers to four, six, eight, six, two and be in the running for a four pack of tickets to see the comments in the nailers Sunday evening puck drop right at five o'clock 
at the Coliseum. So we'll have a four-pack. We'll give it away the end of this hour. Uh, so give you more time because you have to be able to pick those tickets up before 5 p.m. today here at the station. All right. IU Wright State. It was a game that was up and down. In fact, IU had perhaps their best start to the season. They looked excellent the first 10-plus minutes of the first half. Up 15. And then the defense just fell off. Um, And we'll get more on this in hour number two. But when IU wants to be good, they can. And they were great the first 10-plus minutes of that first half. And then despite scoring 54 points in the first half, we're only at five points. But they gave up 49 in the first half. This game you looked at with Wright State's leading scorer out. Yep. And he was scratched yesterday with an injury. So no Trey Calvin. And you think, all right, a guy that's averaging 27.5 per game, take him out of the lineup, and IU should be able to roll in this game. And they look like they were well on their way midway through the first half. But defense struggled. Wright State started making threes. Ander Whalage, who came in and was, where did he go, Greensburg? Yeah. I think. It just, of course, he was going to come in and have a big game at the Assembly Hall. Being an IU or Indiana native, had never taken a shot this season, makes seven threes. Five points. That's just a typical Indiana story for a kid that's from this state that gets the opportunity to play at the Assembly Hall and just goes off. And played 33 minutes off the bench with seven of 10 from three. He was the guy that stepped up in Trey, Cal- Trey Calvin's uh, absence. Man, once again, you said IU needs to shoot more threes. They shot 16 of them, only made three. Meanwhile, Wright State went 11 of 26 from distance, and it's not just that IU isn't taking enough threes. It's that they're getting outscored handily. I mean, that's 24 points Yeah, that's 33 points to nine points. And once again, IU struggling from the free throw line, 20 of 32 for 62%. It's the same old story here for Indiana. And now... If you're the Hoosiers or a Hoosiers fan, you're hoping hoping with UConn on the docket on Sunday, like, okay, maybe this team elevates its play mm-hmm. playing against an elite opponent. Because right now, they're not playing good enough to even compete with UConn. No. And the other big concern, Xavier Johnson went down with some sort of foot or ankle injury with a, just over a minute to play in this game. And it did not look good initially. Then he was at least up and walking around. But at minimum, it's an ankle sprain. So his availability for Sunday is, is clearly in doubt. And at worst, it's a high ankle sprain. Ah, the dreaded high ankle sprain. And that could mean he's out for several weeks. It was a difficult night for the Hoosiers last night. Luckily for them, they get the win. A win is a win. Mackenzie and Baco played better last night. I think that was maybe a, a, another positive coming out of yesterday. Reached double digits in points. Khalil, Khalil Ware with 22 points. Malik Renew 16. Trey Galloway with 15. So there was things to like, but once again, the the warning signs the for Indiana through the first two games were there again last night. And again, these aren't any, like this is nothing new, free throw shooting and three-point shooting. And then the lack of effort, which we knew would be a problem with some of the players on this team. But I think the player in particular we we're all concerned about as far as lacking effort or, or not having a high enough motor, Khalil Ware, well, he's answered the bell all three games. That's not been the issue at all. Got another double-double for him. A couple blocks, a couple assists as well. Just a complete game for Khalil Ware. Trey Galloway played well, too, in 15 points, six assists. 
and did not turn the ball over. And Indiana only turned the ball over for the game eight times. So there were some things to like, but when you looked at this and took Trey Calvin out of the equation for Wright State, yes, a solid Horizon League team, but Indiana in prepping for UConn, you were hoping, let's see a step forward for the Hoosiers in terms of their deficiencies through the first two games. We didn't really see that. I mean, the, the one positive, I think overarching positive is take is, is Mackenzie Mbako and his play and being an ability to come in and play well and score, make his free throws, unlike some of his teammates, Malik Renew looking at you, <laughs> and uh, Caleb Banks off the bench couldn't make a free throw. Peyton Sparks couldn't make a free throw. But now the 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 competition up significantly, and and I come back to it with, with IU fans. You're hoping that IU is one of these teams, at least early in the season, that's going to step up and play much better when it's challenged by a really good opponent. We'll find out if that's the case on Sunday afternoon. And we'll also know at a time, will it be Gabe Cup starting at point guard, a freshman who's played three games, uh, or will it be someone else? Because I, I think that's that's the thing. And, and there's really no update on as far as where he's at. They'll They'll have more today, obviously, on his status moving forward, but did not look good. And I think the other thing is for IU offensively, yeah, you played well, but the defense and, and the defensive effort, just just not there. Th- there's talent. Leo Ware is very talented. Um, we know what some of these other guys can do on this team, but you got to give full effort for 40 minutes, and that's just that's been a problem all year. And I think, unfortunately, when when Xavier Johnson's saying, "Oh, we need to practice better," well, that's a a huge red flag for any team. Yeah, that's a huge red flag. Couple texts coming in. Teams will figure out that the way to beat IU is to shoot threes and offensive rebounds. Also, CK IU has a knack for letting a struggling player have career games. Going to be a long season. I wouldn't. I don't think it'd be the worst thing if Xavier Johnson is out for a couple games because it would thrust other guys into big roles. Looking at Gabe Cups and being able to build that depth over the course of the season could help Indiana once you get into the Big Ten. And if you say, okay. Gabe Cups was able to come in with Xavier Johnson out a couple games and really be able to get comfortable and running the offense and, and show some things. I think that would be big for IU long-term. Short-term, it wouldn't be good if Xavier Johnson is out. But I look at college basketball is it's the one sport, and you look at college basketball, college football, where you can recruit all the talent in the world. If it's lazy talent, it's not going to go well. There's enough players on the field, enough guys on your roster in college football that you can recruit four and five stars and if they come in and they're lazy then you have other guys to step up but college basketball is magnified because of the limited amount of spots you have and if you're bringing in guys that are ultra talented but don't want to work then it is seen easily and prevalently and and right now that's what i'm seeing with indiana you can recruit all the four and five star recruits you want But if they're not going to come in and play hard, and that's kind of been the bugaboo with Indiana for the last, gosh, it feels like a decade, is if you just don't have a team that's scrappy and tries hard and plays hard and just grinders, it doesn't matter how good your recruiting classes are. If you don't have those kind of dudes, you're not going to have success over the course of the full season. And that's predominantly what I look at IU's problem. It's just, it's not recruiting the right players. And I think... It's way too early to say that about this year's team, but there's definitely some warning signs. Several texts, and, and yeah, I, I agree. It's it's like those super teams in the NBA that didn't work, right? The the Pierce, the Garnett, the Joe Johnson. 
mean, a couple old guys and a guy that was just past his prime is making too much money. Uh, obviously, in any iteration of the Nets in, in recent years, of trying to put together players, whether it's been Durant and, and Harden and Simmons or other guys, like it, if you can have all the talent in the world, but if it doesn't mesh and there's no chemistry, it doesn't matter, right? And I, I just feel like that's where... I, I don't think that's exactly where things are, but they, they've looked way better last night compared to how they looked in games one and two. I will say that. Like, as far as just playing together. But the the effort is something that, like, you can't really teach guys effort, right? That you either yeah, have it or you don't. You got it or you don't. And, and, and that's the alarming aspect of this team so far. And that's why I have a, such a hard time buying into Mike Woodson when people say, oh, he's an NBA guy, he's going to get kids to the NBA, he has all these relationships, look at the guys he's recruiting. It doesn't matter unless those guys come in and play hard. And I think there's a fair amount of people that used to be Indiana fans that now have a hard time watching this team because they remember the teams of the Bobby Knight era that played really hard for 30 years, close to 30 years for Bobby Knight, and maybe weren't the most highly rated, but they left it all out there, all the cliches out there, and it's just a team that hasn't had that. And I've said it before, you, you watch Purdue, and what does Matt Painter do? He recruits dudes that are like that. Some of them are three stars. Some of them are four stars. A couple of them are five, but they all work. They all know what they're going to do at Purdue. And if you don't work, you're going to be on the bench. Meanwhile, in Indiana, they start the same guys all the time. And, and Mike Woodson's just kind of hoping and praying that at some point it clicks and they start giving effort. But last night, particularly in that first half, defensively, next to no effort. Several texts rolling in on on that aspect. IU basketball is the space indie heat of college basketball. Just amass a bunch of talent that doesn't make any sense together and wonder why you are are always not playing well. Another text, CK, the five-star recruiting is not going to work. We need three to four-star guys that stick around and have experience to know how to win. Look, I mean, Mike Woodson has a different philosophy, right? And IU can, can attract talented players. We all know that and all see that. But... Again, at some point, you got to make sure that talent fits your system. All the talent in the world isn't going to win anything if if it's a bad fit. But what's the well, what's the system? Yeah, no, that, that, and that's, that's the question, that's question that's great, right? What's the Mike Woodson system? What, what is system? the system? I don't know. Is it just recruiting top talent and hope it meshes together and get guys to the NBA? Is that the system? Because so far, that's what it is. We don't have a, a hallmark thing to... Mike Woodson teams fall back on, right? They're not known for something like Tom Izzo teams are known for rebounding, right? Um, Matt Painter teams are known for playing really tough defense. Um, you know, there's just, there's like Tom Crean teams during the, they were known for three point shooting, right? So there was something a team and a coach is known for, and we just don't have that yet. What What's the system other than just recruiting top talent and putting it together and hoping it works out? Because that's what I see in Bloomington. And, uh, and, and the problem is, is you have fans that get excited about the next four-star or next five-star. It's like, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's what's so impressive about this Purdue recruiting class because you can look at every single one of those players and know exactly where they're going to fit in for Purdue. It just so happens that it's worked out to where this class for Matt Painter is very loaded with star power. But yeah. also, every single one of those guys fits a role in what Matt Painter expects. Meanwhile, in Bloomington, it's just what what five-star transfer or commit can we get, and then we'll figure it out. 
Another text, you guys are 100%. Uh, look at how many top five classes Kentucky's had for Calipari and believe one national title to show for. Well, and I mean, he embraced the one and done era early, so that helped him. But then really the last handful of years, it's been a disappointment for him and it wouldn't shock me if, you know, if this season goes poor, like, does he step away? Like, they're just, it, it seems like he's run his course in Lexington. Yeah, I don't think that. I mean, what's the best, the, the best IU team of the last generation is 2002. Yeah. One, two, right? Look at that team. You had one player that was an NBA guy in Jared Jeffries. And everything else was just grinders. Moye, Coverdale, Fife, Fife, uh, Kyle Newton. Hornsby, uh, Je- yeah, Jeff Newton, uh, George Leach. I mean, those are just grinding dudes. They were blue collar dudes that put in the work. That's the best IU team of the last twenty five years. Best, not most talented. No, because we best. all know the most talented was the the twenty twelve twenty thirteen team. The best team, and it had one. NBA player, not even just one one player that made it in the NBA, one NBA prospect on that team, just one, and it got to the national championship game, and that's the that's the obsession that IU has had fans and and now coaches I think is it's Indiana, and it's a national brand, and I'm going to go after the best of the best of the of of recruits, and you're going to bring him in, and if you have no system, if they don't fit, if they're lazy, if they're play one position, they only have one attribute. And you can't round them into good basketball players, well-rounded basketball players. It doesn't matter. And I just I'm already seeing indications that this IU team is the very same thing. Could they make the tournament? Yeah, maybe. Are they going to do anything in the tournament? I know it's only three games in, but so far, just sure as hell doesn't look like it. And either Sunday is going to be a reality check, or we come out of that saying, okay, we've seen Indiana play to its potential. Let's see if they can continue to do that. They can impress me on Sunday without winning. Yeah, no, I I'd agree. Like you're you're playing the defending national champions in Madison Square Garden, and we don't know how IU is going to be without their their point guard. There are a lot of questions, right? But you just want to see the effort, and that's the thing that's not been consistent so far this season. Four six eight six two again. Your text line number four six eight six two. Uh, someone saying, LOL, all those kids were recruited by night to your point. Well, exactly, right? It's the style of play. Uh, IU UConn coming up Sunday afternoon. You can hear it on our sister station, WoWo 92.3 FM, 1 p.m. tip-off in that one. Coming up on the other side, Jim Harbaugh's three-game suspension has been accepted. Huh? Interesting turn of events up in Ann Arbor. We'll get to that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday. Some hotline bling this morning. Yes. Some Drake here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. 46862 is the text line number. 46862. Get those entries in for Comets tickets. We have tickets for Sunday's game against the Wheeling Nailers. Puck drop 5 o'clock at the Coliseum. It's a four-pack. So uh, the key phrase to text Nailers to 46862. Again, Nailers to 46862. And uh, you can be entered to win. We'll pick a winner again. End of this hour. So you have plenty of time because you have to be able to pick these tickets up before 5 p.m. today here at 2915 Maples Road. So just make sure you can pick them up today uh, before the end of the workday. And uh, they will be yours. All yours for Sunday's game. Or else somebody from Federated Media is going to be going (laughs) to the game with your tickets. (laughs) That's right. 
so, uh, interesting development in, in the Michigan Jim Harbaugh scandal and everything that's going on. Harbaugh and Michigan have accepted a three-game suspension from the Big Ten. So, so he's all dropped of the all of blue. The, yes. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> there's no court hearing today after all. All of this simply, they've moved on. They've accepted the deal. Almost feels like a plea deal, right? They've accepted yeah. it. Uh, now, again, the Big Ten has closed their investigation. No hearing. No Harbaugh for Saturday's game at Maryland. No Harbaugh for the Ohio State game to wrap up the season. Michigan withdrew their legal challenge. Uh, no Harbaugh connection found in all of this. But what I do find fascinating is everything in the last week plus was not just Harbaugh saying he's going to fight it, but what was weird, and, and people pointed this out. I mean, I'm not the first to do so. I'm not taking credit here. But uh, what was so weird to me is that it wasn't just Harbaugh being defensive. It was the president. It was the AD. It was like a, the culture of the university. And I'm not talking alums and fans. I'm talking people in positions of power. We're, we're pushing back, basically saying it's a witch hunt. But yet suddenly we get to this and eh, it's all nothing. They're, they're going to move forward. Is it an admission of guilt? Because in the court of law, people say, well, I took the plea deal, not saying I'm guilty, but just to be rid of all the the court proceedings and stuff. But to me, it's an admission of guilt because yeah. Michigan could have easily fought this and at the very least got a, a delay in the punishment and had Jim Harbaugh available for Maryland and Ohio state, but didn't, in my opinion, it's a admission of guilt that yes, at the very least, Jim Harbaugh is responsible for what goes on in his program and he was irresponsible in that respect. And then, two, my question is: Is this it? Like, so the Big Ten is done investigating. Correct. Is the NCAA? Gonna, are we just? Are we done with this entire thing? Is this closure on the entire saga that is this sign stealing Connor Stallions drama? I mean, th- this is it as far as this season. I don't think we're going to see anything else. Um, the NCAA investigation is obviously going to take a lot of time, so. I don't think we'll have any update on anything unless there's some big bombshell story that gets dropped, but I don't know how there's a whole lot more to come out, right? Yeah, I, I unless, you know, I guess there's a, if you see a, him in another disguise on the, on the sidelines or something, but I'm, we've talked about this a lot. I, I'm just glad, I'm, I'm hoping this is it. Yes, it was illegal. Yes, it was wrong. All that stuff. Is it to the point of, of, of real serious cheating? terms of of uh, violations and stuff not really no so i'm glad to be putting this behind us and we can actually talk about michigan as an undefeated team right now heading to maryland and i would say this is gonna be a tough game then again maryland has never beaten a top 25 team in the big 10 since joining the big 10 we talked about that yesterday oh and 33 all time and then of course the game against Ohio State over Thanksgiving weekend. So now we can actually focus on those two games as opposed to everything going on in the peripheral. But at least through one game, didn't look like Michigan uh, missed Jim Harbaugh very much at Penn State last week. Yeah, and I don't think they'll miss him a whole lot for the game against Maryland either. A Maryland team has never beaten a ranked team in Big Ten play. Never. Uh, CK, I was hoping for a hearing because it was going to be epic. It would be good entertainment to try to figure out how that was going to go, but... I'm glad that we're moving forward and can actually talk about football. Here's the thing. 
I, Michigan was was doubling down. Oh, we're going to go to here. I'm like, you don't want that because a lot of stuff's going to get put out there, right? You start going further into the the court cases and more information comes out. I don't know if you want that. Well, I think that's precisely why Michigan settled. Is man, if they really start looking into this, not that they have a lot of a paper, but if they the more this drags on, the worse it could get for for Michigan. That's why you take effectively a plea deal and. Now we don't have to to go through that. My big question now is, is Michigan still America's team after Jim Harbaugh <laughs> settled this? Has, has, has America no. from coast to coast rallied behind the Wolverines no. after they've been unfairly persecuted and vilified? Yeah, the... the um, w- w- what what is all this called? Oh wait, gaslighting, right? <laughs> That's what Michigan did to all of us the the last month plus, and it's great that we can finally move on from this. Uh, someone texting in at four six eight six two. I think accepting this and it being over and ensures that Michigan wins out. They have their coach for the college football playoff. I think that's the other key aspect. Yes, and I wonder if Michigan had lost last week at Penn State, if Michigan would have settled. Probably. You think? If they had lost last week and they say, man, we really need Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines. I don't know. Well, no, because they'd still be in play for stuff, right? I mean, you, yeah, you went you out, went you're, out, still, you're in still in, probably. So, I wonder. I'd be fascinating uh, about that, if, if that was a thing. So, uh, But those are what ifs. But what we know is Jim Harbaugh out for the next two games, but he'll be back on the sidelines for the college football playoff in the event that Michigan makes it. Can a one-loss Michigan team make the college football playoff, in your opinion? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they can lose to Ohio State in the college or in the Big Ten Championship game win. Oh, wait, they wouldn't be in the Big be, Ten Championship yeah. game. Now, now. Here, here's how they do it. If, if you beat Ohio State and somehow lose to Iowa, I still think you're making it. Ooh. If, you, if you lose to Ohio State and then your season's over, I don't think you're making it. Man, I don't know if if you go out and lose. For, okay, I don't even know what we're talking about. It's not happening. Iowa's not good. No, <laughs> right? no, so, it's, it's not. <laughs> but I, I think if Michigan would lose to Ohio State, it's going to be tough for them to get in. Yeah, I mean, it's you got to have the dominoes fall your way elsewhere. You, you, you have to have Georgia beat Alabama to eliminate Alabama. You have to have Florida State somehow lose a game. Uh, you have to have Texas somehow lose a, a, another game, right? Uh, and then, I'd say then... Your, your chance is pretty good, assuming you know one of Washington and Oregon also eliminates themselves prior to the Pac-12 championship game. A, a lot of ifs. Right, a lot of ifs. So, uh, text coming in, wonder if they were paid a couple million for him to settle and not be on the sideline versus Ohio State to level the playing field. I highly doubt that. Uh, what does Michigan need with another couple million dollars? Big Ten has no investigative arm. They received all their info from the NCAA. NCAA will bring additional punishments. That's kind of my question. I don't know if the NCAA is going to look into this. If it's just I know Big Ten has said it's closed, but what's mission, what's the NCAA do? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, text coming into Michigan is playing nobody. They lose one and they're out. Doesn't matter who it's to. I don't know. I mean, you you beat Penn State. Uh, if you beat Ohio State, those are two high quality wins. I will give Michigan that credit because for the, all the only way they, they make it nobody. with one loss is if they lose in the Big Ten championship game. That, that's the only way I see it. I After next week, you can't say Michigan hasn't played anybody because they'll have to play Ohio State. If they beat Ohio State, in my opinion, they're deserving of being in the college football playoff unless 
in some radical development, they somehow lose to Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. But they are legit. I will admit, they are legit if they beat Ohio State next week. Yes. I, I, I agree. That. That's been my question the entire season, is we don't know about Michigan because they haven't played anybody. I agree with the texter. I, I do think going to Penn State last week and winning is a good win. Penn State is not an elite team, but they're good enough to say they went on the road and beat Penn State, and that's a good win without their head coach. But if they can do that same thing at home against Ohio State, they are legit, in my opinion. Yeah, I I I agree. I I'm re- I'm glad we can move forward with all of this, but as someone texting in, here's where this is. So Michigan went from one. This totally didn't happen. Two. Even if it happened, it's not a big deal. Three, yes, we did, but everyone does it. Four, we are the real <laughs> victims. Five, we will sue. Six, okay, we accept the penalty. Well, exactly. It's it's gaslighting. That's that's all they did this whole process. And it's like the stages of grief. Yeah, I'm glad we can move <laughs> forward. It's going through the stages. Um, yeah. See, what their one loss would be worse than the one loss of Alabama, Washington, or Oregon. They're out if they lose. I I, I disagree. I think if they lose, uh, well, no, I I. I think they have to be undefeated. I think they have to be undefeated. I don't think Ohio State and Michigan both get in right now. Unless it's just next week is some crazy, crazy good game. And the other things need to happen. That's the biggest thing. I think you need other events to happen to get both Michigan and Ohio State in. <laughs> just like early 90s Michigan basketball, there will be an asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> Love the text. Keep coming in here on... The show, 46862. Also, nailers to 46862 to be in the running for tickets to Sunday's Comets game, a four-pack of tickets. And we'll pick a winner here, top of the hour. So uh, get your entries in now. Quick timeout. We'll wrap up hour number one. Is any Northeast Indiana high school football team join Adam Central at State next week? That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here in hour number one, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. High school football semi-state tonight. We'll get to that in a second. Last chance to text in Nailers to 46862. Again, Nailers to 46862 if you want to win a four-pack of tickets to Sunday's Comets game against the Wheeling Nailers, 5 o'clock puck drop at the Coliseum in that one. Again, Nailers to 46862. All right. Not one, not two, not three, but four. I feel like LeBron and uh, the uh, the big three, the Heatles, right? <laughs> not one, not yes. two, not three, uh, but four local semi-state games coming up here in the Fort Wayne area tonight. In 5A, you have Maryville at Snyder at Spoiler Stadium. That's our 1380 fan game of the week. Uh, in 4A, Northwood at Leo. 2A, Lafayette Central Catholic at Bishop Bluers. And in Class A, North Judson at Adam Central. Now, Adam Central. <laughs> they're a not, lock. We're not saying they're a lock, but we're saying they're I'll a lock. I'll say they're a lock. If Adam's, <laughs> unless Adam Central comes out and plays its worst game of the last five years, <laughs> they're going to stay. And we'll probably face Lutheran for what, the third straight year? Round three with Lutheran, <laughs> yes. Uh, in 2A... We'd have to say Lures, maybe a, a slight underdog against Lafayette Central I Catholic. I would say yes, an underdog. Two proud programs uh, combined a 19 state championships between the two, but first ever 
meeting up against each other. Yeah, I think LCC is the more complete football team. It's not saying that Bishop Lewers can't win this game. They've been able to get by this season in a lot of instances and in playing imperfect football, but doing what they needed to when it counted. I don't know if that can continue tonight at Lewers Field. And then in 4A, Northwood at Leo. Uh, it's been a great season for Leo, but Northwood also has some elite talent. Uh, it just feels like this is the end of the road for the Lions. Could be because Northwood, they have a Michigan commit. They have a Georgia commit. I, I think with with all of the talent on both sides of the football for both teams, I say this could come down to the battle in the trenches. And I think that's where Leo has a decided advantage, that defensive line against the offensive front for Northwood. Could that be enough for the Lions to head to the state championship for the first time? And then in 5A, Merrillville at Snyder at Spooler, our 1380 fan game of the week. Uh Shane and Griffith and yourself, you're actually filling in me. for me, stepping up. I had some things come up, so um, you are on the call. And this is a Snyder team that's been up there, you know, in the top top teams in 5A all year. Uh, it's really not a huge shock that they made it this far, but now it just comes down to can they get back to state and win their first state title since 2015. They're, they're definitely coming off an emotional win last week against Mishawaka where they had to execute late in all three facets of the game, stop Mishawaka from scoring a touchdown, force them to kick a field goal. The offense then gets it down to the field, downfield in range enough for Mang Tung to line up and kick a 45-yard field goal as time expired. So Snyder was all about execution last week in the clutch in all three facets. If they can continue that tonight against a Maryville team that has never won a semi-state game in its history, 0-8, we'll see if the Pirates can get over that. Now, they have won a national or a national a state championship in 1976, but that was without the semi-state round. But they are 0-8 in semi-state. So that's a 7.30 kickoff here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM from Spooler Stadium. We'll see if the Panthers can get it done. But if I had to rate the chances uh-huh. tonight for four area teams, I would say Adam Central has the best chance. Then I would go Snyder, Leo, Bishop Lures. That's my order of expectations in terms of the most likely teams to advance tonight. And if you want to hear from some of the coaches uh, people can download the high school coaches show podcast, right? Yeah. Coaches show podcast is up. We had it last night. We had Sam Frick from outside the huddle.net breaking down each matchup. And then we talked to Kurt Tipman and we talked to Jason Dorfler and Kyle Lindsay. So if you want to go in depth on the previews heading into tonight, make sure you download the high school coaches show podcast. You can find it on 1380, the fan or your low, your favorite podcast directory. And free to download, free to listen as well. Coming up out on the other side, hour number two. This IU team can be good if it wants to be. We we talked about some of the issues. We'll dive in more into it next hour. Also, college football Saturday, Notre Dame Senior Day, IU Michigan State. IU could could do something they haven't done in quite some time. And Purdue with an opportunity uh, to to really take advantage of something they did last week and do it again this week. Plus. The fabrication that is reverberating around the world of sports. Uh, uh, Just a one-off omission by Teresa Thompson that brings up a larger conversation about sports and media. And before we leave you, a buzzing sound is causing havoc in Northern Ireland. We'll explain what's going on there. That's all to come. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two here on a Friday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 
Coming up this hour on the show, this IU team can be good if it wants to be. Plus, college football Saturday, Notre Dame. Can Sam Hartman get back on track for IU? They could do something they haven't done in quite some time. And Purdue can take advantage of a huge bright spot we saw last week. And they have another opportunity this week. Plus, Teresa Thompson, fabricated sideline reports. Uh, What this really means, because it's one thing to just say something offhand on a podcast, which is what happened here. That has a much bigger meaning than just just a, a side comment. That, and I don't think she probably realized what what this meant going forward. And a buzzing sound, keeping people in Northern Ireland awake at night. We'll, we'll dive into that around 8.50 or so to wrap it up on mm. Friday. What's going on over there in Ireland? I don't know. It's always something, apparently. Apparently. Yeah, there, there's always something in Australia. There's always something in Florida. And I guess now in <laughs> Ireland as well. They got... <laughs> Florida man, they have uh, Australian wildlife, and we have just random sounds in Ireland. Yes. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line, 46862. Don't forget, you can also stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380thefan app, or your smart speaker. All free options for you to listen if you can't listen on your radio. You can always reach us on Twitter, Caleb Kinney, 1380 the show handle. My handle is Caleb Hatch. Justin's is J Kenny OPS. So IU gets an 89 to 80 win over Wright State last night. Hoosiers improved to 3 0. There was some good, there was some bad, there was some ugly. The good, the first 10 minutes of the first half. The bad, the defensive effort, the ugly. Xavier Johnson going down with just over a minute to play with some sort of foot or ankle injury. Probably get an update on that. Today is the Hoosiers now go into the really the tough part of the schedule coming up, starting with the defending national champs UConn on Sunday uh, with a tip at 1 p.m. on our sister station, WoWo 92.3 FM uh, from Madison Square Garden in that one. So with this, again, the first 10 or so minutes of the first half, IU was outstanding. They were playing well defensively. They were, were closing out on the perimeter. Um, offensively, they look good. You saw McKenzie and Baco get going. He had a good game last night, except from the free throw line. <laughs> um, that continues to be an issue for this team, seemingly. Uh, or, or no, he was good from the free throw line. He was bad from distance, but yes. he, he did have 13 points. Plenty uh, of guys could make free throws. But yes, Baco at least he could. was at least one of them who could. But for Indiana, everything good that first 10 minutes, and it's like they just threw it away the rest of the game and went back to bad habits. Well, and the big thing is, and you mentioned it about the upcoming schedule and you look over the next month of games from now until the 19th of December. Here's the schedule. UConn, Harvard, a team that you could say is maybe the best team that IU is. It's better than any team that IU has played so far. I will say that UConn, Harvard, Maryland, Michigan, Auburn, Kansas. That's your next six games for the Hoosiers. And the way they're playing, they'll be lucky to win two of those. So my thing is, when you look at Indiana over the next month, is they need to elevate their game. And I think that's that's what IU fans are hoping, is beginning Sunday, you're going to see a different IU team because it has to elevate its play against better opponents. Because if it plays the way it has been playing, it's going to get rolled off the court. And when you look at guys being able to play 
together, I think that's the biggest question for Indiana, is yesterday was another thing where, well, yeah, you saw some things, but you also struggled in areas you've struggled all season long. Three-point shooting. At least you were shooting threes yesterday. But Mackenzie and Baco, one of seven. Trey Galloway, one of four. And then free throw shooting. 20 of 32. And of course, defense. And that's the biggest thing. Sometimes you're going to have an off-night shooting. But if you can play defense, you're going to win a fair amount of games. Good defense. IU just it, it looks incapable of playing good defense. And it was a right State team that was missing its leading score. There should have been no reason why this game should have been close last night whatsoever. And you let Andrew Wailage from Greensburg go for 25, a kid who hadn't even shot a shot all season for Wright State. And now you go into a weekend where you have your biggest challenge of the year so far in UConn on Sunday. Yeah, it's... There's just, uh, there are uh, so many questions. I feel like the first 10 minutes, I'm like, wow, they're answering every question I had about this team. And then they threw it all away the rest of the game. I I just think you look at what they have and it's not a talent issue, right? But there are questions to be had about defensively and it's not the interior defense. It's around the perimeter. And you would think with Trey Galloway and Xavier Johnson, the perimeter defense wouldn't be a problem, right? But here it is a problem seemingly early into the season. We've talked we talked about it a lot in the first hour about effort and and defense is 90% effort and IU just has guys that either don't put any effort into defense or choose when they're going to. And admittedly, last night the, the second half the defense was better. But why can't the defense be that good for 40 minutes all the time? And you mentioned it's not a talent issue. That's my biggest thing over the past several years, maybe the last decade for Indiana. It's never a talent issue. They have enough talent. They just don't ever execute and play up to that talent consistently. It is ne- How often have you said to yourself when watching IU, well, they just don't have this or that or the other. Maybe to a certain extent you could say they don't have a steady three-point shooter. But it's not a roster completely devoid of talent. We're not talking Tom Crean in his first couple years where he just was dealing with next to nothing on that roster. Okay? IU's not had a talent issue since 2012. Yes, it's not a talent issue. And that's why they, the, 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 the focus when, of the next four-star and the next five-star and the next transfer that you can bring in, it's not a, a talent issue for Indiana. It's an effort, it's a chemistry issue, and it's a coaching issue. And we said in the first hour, what's what's the Mike Woodson system? What 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 is his his uh, team? How is his team's going to play? Is it just high talent and low execution and low effort? Because that's what I get out of right out of now. His his, teams. his mo is star collection, right? <laughs> star collection and hoping it works out. And hey, you'll get to the NBA with me. And hey, look, we put two guys in the draft last year. So so what? Are you winning consistently at the college level? And that's why year three is so pivotally important. Why this is so frustrating if you, as you're an IU fan is this is year three. These, these, these effort questions, these, they shouldn't be questions anymore. There should be standards that Mike Woodson holds his team up to that he just simply isn't. Telling the media these are problems isn't sending messages because you're still sending the same guys out to play to start. So when does it become 
a, a, a issue where you're starting to send messages by limiting minutes or not starting guys. But this can all go away if Indiana can come out and play a really good basketball game on Sunday. It cannot play the way it has the first three games and expect to be in that game against UConn. Like sometimes it, it takes a more high level opponent, right, to elevate your game and, and to play up to your standards because it's easy to just kind of try to cakewalk through, you know, an opponent that you, I mean, these first three games, these are opponents IU should have won by 20 plus in every single game, right? Right. And, and perhaps more in some of them, especially the Army one, right? And it just, it did not happen. And for Indiana, you want to see them play to their potential. We saw it for 10, 12 minutes last night, but that was it. You, you go back to, to old habits that they've already formed here early in the season, and that was that. I, I think to me, the surprise, because I continue to, to say this, Glit Ware has been everything is advertised and more because the one thing that everyone criticized about him was, well, he's really talented, but is he going to put in the effort? Can he be consistent? I, no issue with him on that. Right. And that's not the player. I, to me, I'm looking at your senior leaders as mm-hmm. the guys who need to step up. Trey yes. Galloway, Xavier Johnson, they need to step up. And that's the, what the concerning thing is, too, when you have your senior leaders that are saying, we need to practice better. That's kind of on them, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that to yes. 10 minutes into practice, if they're half-assing it, and you say, get that team together and chew them out as a leader on the player? That can't be the coaches. And and that's the thing, is, oh, we need to practice better. That tells me that you're not practicing better. And isn't shouldn't that be the opposite? That it should be your seniors setting the tone. It doesn't sound like the seniors are setting a tone with that. So once again, it's just chemistry issues and effort issues. It's the same thing we've been talking about for Indiana for the last decade. And these are three games that they've played at home. We haven't seen this team play away from the assembly hall yet, which is another dynamic that we're going to see on Sunday. Hey, at least that's a a neutral site game and and will probably be pretty neutral. A lot of IU fans in New York City, obviously a lot of UConn fans that can come in uh, to New York City for that game. But it's just early returns. I, I think... The the things that I thought would be locks, like Xavier Johnson and, and Trey Galloway, yeah, they've had some pretty good games so far, but I look at defensively around the perimeter, and teams are making hay from the three-point line. They Those have, are your guards. Yes. So, And I get it. They're not in there every single minute of every single game, but they need to be setting a better tone and a better example. And I just got to do a better job there, plain and simple. They're shooting 67% from free throw line. That needs to be in the 70s. They shot just 62% from the free throw line last night. Uh, They're shooting 27% from three. That needs to be into the 30s, and they need to shoot more threes. Last night, just three of 16 from range. They were outshot BM three-point makes by Andrew Wailage alone, made seven threes. IU as a team only made three. And just a lack of effort, particularly in the first half, defensively. So we'll see. It's it's a very good litmus test coming up on Sunday for Indiana. You're at the Garden, first game away from the Assembly Hall. It's a nationally televised game, correct? ESPN? Yes. Yeah. And you have an opportunity to prove, even without a win. I'm not saying IU has to go out and win on Sunday. Just looking at IU and say, you need to come out in the biggest stage you'll have before the tournament at the Garden against UConn. And play a complete basketball game. Xavier Johnson, Trey Galloway last night combined for two rebounds. 
I understand their guards. That's not good. And that's an effort thing too. Yeah, that's an effort thing. Rebounding. Where can't be the only one getting rebound. Exactly. He's he's averaging a double double right now. But everybody else has to step it up. And and you look at it. If you can't get up for at the Garden against UConn, then what are you going to get up for? No, you're not getting up for any game. If you don't have effort defensively at the Garden against UConn, then you're not going to have effort defensively on the road in February at Rutgers. Why'd you have to bring Rutgers into this? I don't, I don't want to think about that right now. <laughs> I just picked a random team. It just so happens you have a deep cut with IU fans. <laughs> 46862 is the text line number. 46862 if you have thoughts on the Hoosiers. One, one other thought on all of this, and in its communication, right? We saw how awkward they looked offensively in the first game of the year where the spacing was just really bad. I mean, it was noticeable from the tip. The spacing was bad. That's gotten better. But the communication still continues to be a problem with guys saying, oh, I thought you had like there is one scenario, I, I believe, in the second half where it was Gabe Cups and I can't remember who the other player was there. A, a ball was either blocked or it was it, it caromed off the rim was going toward the baseline and Cups and another player. I don't know if it was in Baco or Renew were both kind of going for it. And then both stopped one. And, yeah. Le- yeah, one let up Cups went for it. And then it was by that point it was already out of bounds. It should have been an easy rebound in yeah. IU possession. Instead, they gave it back to Wright State. Like those are the things you got to fix. You got to communicate. Yeah. CK, y'all trying to hype up Harvard as a good win. I'm not trying to hype up Harvard as a good win. I'm saying this stretch of six games is when Harvard is your easiest game is a difficult stretch on the schedule. Yeah, I mean you have Kansas, the number one team in the country, coming Kansas, into Assembly Hall in mid December. You have two good Big Ten opponents in Maryland and Michigan. Yeah, Michigan's looked really good when we thought they'd be toward the bottom of the Big Ten entering the season. So the point of the matter is, IU needs to be more consistent, better, more effort beginning Sunday at UConn, or it's going to be a long month stretch for the Hoosiers between now and taking on Moorhead State on December 19th. Coming up on the other side, college football Saturday. Notre Dame, can Sam Hartman bounce back against his former team? For IU, can they do something they haven't done since the 60s? And for Purdue, can they continue the momentum they found in one aspect last week over to this week? The numbers say they should, but will they? That's all next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Congrats to Cameron winning our Comets tickets. He won a four-pack for Sunday's game against Wheeling. If you missed out today, well... Be sure to listen in next week. We'll have uh, some more Comet stickers to give away for the Thanksgiving game. So uh, be sure to tune in next week for another opportunity to win some K's tickets again. Listen in next week. Hint, hint, probably Tuesday. Mm, there you go. <laughs> I mean, everybody tunes in all day, every day anyway, but yes. that's something to look forward to on Tuesday. Which, So we'll look at it. We'll have shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week. Correct. Correct. Yes. For us, for, for the us. Sports Rush, they will not have a show on Monday due to the Purdue-Gonzaga game, the Maui Invitational. Uh, Wednesday's show will be hosted by Shannon Griffith and for Brett, uh, because Brett has uh, the Dons and the Dons yeah, on Dons Tuesday night. Dons in San Francisco. Uh, late game. And then basically with Tuesday and Wednesday Sports Rush, comes down to Purdue's schedule. There are a lot of scenarios. I just got an email the other day as far as how it works out. And for Purdue, 
it, it comes down to if they win, if they lose, and then you get past other opponents and and, and all of that. Um, so there's just a, a lot of elements as far as how the schedule will work moving forward. So again, we'll we'll let you know as it becomes available. But there are just a, a lot of questions. So here's how it is. So again, Monday, 4 p.m. tip. Or, or, or excuse me, 5 p.m. tip, 4 p.m. coverage. Uh, Purdue wins against Gonzaga on Tuesday, 8 p.m. tip, 7 p.m. coverage. If they lose uh, a 2.30 tip, so that would mean an abbreviated sports rush. Uh, and then if Purdue wins the first two days, they'll play at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. If they win the first day and lose... They'll play at 2.30 on Wednesday. And then if they lose both, 8.30 on Wednesday. If they lose on Monday, but win on Tuesday, 11 a.m. So <laughs> you, so you have all that? <laughs> yes. That's the benefit of having a morning show. There's very little yes. conflict from 7 to 9 We will be on. 7 yes. to 9, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, next week. Uh, for the other shows throughout the day, it will uh, be dependent upon Purdue and what they do or do not do in the Maui Invitational. Not from Maui, but from Honolulu. Yes. Uh, text coming in that I had to get to. Call IU Basketball Mario Party, collecting stars. That's a great text, particularly <laughs> if you know what Mario Party is. Uh, love Mario Party. And my son, I, I get, I'm incapable of beating him. Mario Party. It doesn't matter if it was on the Super Nintendo or the Wii or the yeah. Wii U. I was, never good, at, I was never good at that I game. I cannot win in any Mario Party game against him. But yes, it's a perfect analogy. IU basketball collecting stars. They are Mario Party down there. And uh, they from, can't win, just like me. <laughs> from IU basketball to college football, including IU football. Uh, so let's start. We have three games tomorrow. Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Senior Day. Uh, you have IU, Michigan State, the Old Brass Platoon, also Senior Day. And then Purdue at Northwestern uh, in Evanston as well. So let's start with Notre Dame, Wake Forest. The obvious storyline, Sam Hartman against his former team. Uh, Hartman this year, since Ohio State, Justin, just four touchdown passes, all seven of his interceptions have come since the Ohio State game. In his first five games of the year, he uh, was over 60% completion percentage in every single game. In his last five, that's happened just twice. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the, yes, they're not playing FCS schools. I get that. But it's not like it's been like a murderer's row of opponents either. It was a down Clemson team. Uh, yes, you escaped against Duke. You you lost against Louisville. Uh, but you, you've played some winnable games. Like you blew out USC. You blew out Pitt. So, but yet his numbers have been bad. Plain and simple. They've not been good. And now you face a team that knows every little nuance of Sam Hartman. And can make things difficult for him. Also run the slow mesh. They still have uh, kept that around. And you look at a team for Notre Dame that is still pretty beat up, even with the bye week. And so they're getting a couple guys back, but they're missing some others. And the way Notre Dame has played, you can't overlook anything. Even a Wake Forest just four and six coming into this game. have lost six of its last seven and got absolutely owned by North Carolina State most recently. But... It's uh, it's it's a game that Notre Dame should handle easily, but there are nuances of this, particularly with Sam Hartman. That man, you just you just don't know. I, I don't expect Notre Dame to lose, but could this be a game going into the fourth quarter? I wouldn't be surprised. This is a game Notre Dame is favored by twenty four and a half. 
I am and taking it's, Wake it's a, Forest to cover that. I'm sorry. It, it is a bad Wake Forest pass defense, but obviously the Notre Dame passing game has struggled mightily. So we'll see what gives in that aspect on Saturday. Moving on. Oh, and one other tidbit. Notre Dame, this is perhaps the positive thing. Notre Dame 16-0-2 all time on playing on November 18th. <laughs> really? Yeah. All right. Saw that sad. I thought that was well, interesting. They're not going to tie. No. Know that. <laughs> Moving on. IU Michigan State, the old brass platoon in Bloomington. IU with an opportunity. Michigan State, the most touchdown passes allowed in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan State and Purdue, the worst pass defenses. And those are, of course, the next two opponents on the schedule for the Hoosiers. The road team has won the last three, but IU is looking for its first three game win streak in the series. Since 1967, 68, and 69. Obviously, a Rose Bowl mixed into that era for Indiana. Wow. Look at that. See if the Hoosiers can do it. We have some listeners going to that game tomorrow. Should be a sunny day down in Bloomington. And you look at the Hoosiers and can they take advantage of the deficiencies of Michigan State? As you mentioned, pass defense. Can Michigan State get enough stops against Indiana? Can Indiana find some opportunities downfield? And that's really where IU has looked better the last couple of weeks and being able to be competitive against their opponents and get a couple of wins is getting the ball downfield vertically and not making mistakes, which we've seen IU time and again this season shoot themselves in the foot with penalties and bad coaching decisions, et cetera, et cetera. This is a, a game that favors Indiana, I feel, as long as it can execute. And that's the big thing. We talk about it so much at the high school level at this level of semi-state is you just have to execute and minimize mistakes. If Indiana can do that, they have enough of an advantage against Michigan State to get another win. And again, of course, the the storyline going into this one, is this perhaps Tom Allen's final home game as the IU football coach? It very we well see. could be. It could be, but I, I guess I'm not really buying it. Uh, I, I think it would be phenomenal for Indiana to to make a change. I just don't know if they have the cojones to do it. If, yeah, I if agree. If you expect mediocrity from your football program, you're then gonna you're going to get, get mediocrity. And mediocrity actually be an upgrade. This That's morning. true. Uh, that would be going five and seven or six and six. Yeah, which they're not doing. They're not, they're not close to that level uh, in recent years. And then finally, Purdue Northwestern. Now, Purdue had 353 rushing yards. You read that out loud, it's, it seems unbelievable, but it really did happen. <laughs> 353 rushing yards last week. And Northwestern is two spots lower when it comes to run defense than Minnesota against the Ooh. Run. The Boilers should have every opportunity to run all over the Wildcats, who are playing for something between Purdue and Illinois in the last two weeks of the regular season. If Northwestern wins one of those two games, they'll be bowl eligible, which, again, if you would have told us at the start of the year they'd be fighting for a bowl, we would have laughed at you because this is a team that won one game last year and three games the season before after a really good 2020 season, everything that's happened with their program. Pat Fitzgerald getting fired. But Purdue, an opportunity to do something. Northwestern, meanwhile, I, I talked about that 2020 team. Northwestern hasn't won back-to-back games since a 5-0 and start in 2020. So a lot on the line for them as well. And for Purdue, it's just closing the season strong. And we saw Hudson Card with a breakout performance last week. We saw the running game. It was outstanding. Can Purdue carry something over in Evanston Saturday afternoon? Well, you don't want last week to just be a blip on the radar. You don't want being able to 
produced 600 total yards of offense as just being a flash in the pan. And you want to see more consistency. Has it all clicked now? Hudson card, that offense, everything coming together. And that's what you'd like to see for Purdue tomorrow. Even if they can't win at Northwestern, if it's a high-scoring game and Purdue offensively looks pretty strong, then it gives you even more positivity heading into the offseason and year two. But you look at what Northwestern has done, and David Braun, a tremendous job, no longer the interim coach, but now the long-term coach at Northwestern. This could also be, Caleb, the final game at Ryan Field in its current oh, configuration. That's right. that's right. With some sizable upgrades coming. So well, now I saw that was announced, but was that like, have, are they planning to move forward with it's, that? It's not official yet. There's a, a ch- still the chance that that's going to happen. And if it does, it's got like a partial green light, like it's been okay by um, the, the commissioners and stuff like that in terms of the community, but there's no like start date or anything yet from what I understand and still has to go through city council and Evanston, all that. But there is a possibility that this is the last game with the current configuration of Ryan Field. So how much does that impact Northwestern? It's a Northwestern team that has a lot more to play for than Purdue in terms of this season getting to bowl eligibility. But I think that's the biggest question for Purdue is that offense is, man, can they come out and have another game like they did last week? Now I'm not talking 600 yards. Can they come out and top 450 yards of offense and look pretty sound doing it? That's my biggest question for Purdue. And you can listen to Purdue and Northwestern, 11 a.m. pregame, noon kickoff in Evanston from Ryan Field and that one here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Notre Dame-Wake Forest will be joined at the conclusion of the Purdue game and IU-Michigan State on our sister station, WoWo 92.3 FM, noon kick in that one as well. Coming up on the other side, Teresa Thompson, fabricated sideline reports. This is a really big deal in the media, and I wonder what the fallout will be for this. We'll debate that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, and your thoughts on the text line at 46862. Again, 46862. That is how you reach us, and we definitely want your thoughts on this story because this is it was so shocking to read it I couldn't believe it was actually true. And it was Teresa Thompson, who is the the host of Thursday Night Football on Prime, also sideline reporter for Fox Sports, uh, saying this on the podcast, pardon my take. I've said this before, so I haven't been fired for saying it, but I'll say it again. I would make up the report sometimes because the coach wouldn't come out at halftime or it was too late and didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make this up. Because first of all, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we need to stop hurting ourselves. We need to be better on third down. We need to stop turning the ball over. Do a better job of getting off the field. They're not going to correct me on that. So I'm like, it's fine. I'll just make up the report. So she's just making stuff up. And yeah. I, and I spent so much time in, in print media and just, you never made up quotes. You never, that was no. never something you did. It could have been general stuff. Like she's saying, ah, it's just, I know what they're going to say. I just made it up. Like you never do that. And for those that are out there saying, see these, these sideline reporters, they, they, they add nothing. This is just fuel to that fire. And it hurts other women that do a really good job as a sideline reporter, because now they're going to be lumped in with Carissa Thompson, who's basically just make stuff up. 
And it shows, it shows the hypocrisy too, because it's obvious that the majority of these women get the jobs because of how they look. Some of them are very capable at what they do. Other ones are just there because of how they look. And that's unfortunate for women is you should be trying to find the most capable. You're telling me a a lot of average looking women can't do the job a hell of a lot better than Carissa Thompson. No. I mean, they they absolutely can't. But Carissa Thompson's in the position she is because of how she looks. And that's unfortunate. And she's just proving that narrative by her going on this podcast and saying what she did. And it's just proving the the idea that you cannot be a get a job as a sideline reporter unless you're a smoke show. And unfortunately, it sets back the Laura Oakmans and the Heather Mag- uh, Holly McGraths and those that are both attractive and do a hell of a good job at what they do. There are a lot of great sideline reporters, male and female out there. And this is just so frustrating. I mean, you worked in newspapers. I've I've worked in radio and TV for over a decade now. And I've done, you know, stuff in newspapers, whether it was the high school level and college level. And it's all about reporting. Yeah. Right? It's integrity is the thing. She has you, no integrity. You never by make that. up a quote ever. Never. Even if it's a harmless, we need to do this or that. You never make up a quote. I, the thought to make up a quote has never crossed my mind. If you don't have a quote, you just don't run it. You just don't run it. And she says, well, there are sometimes you just have nothing else to talk about. That means you're not very good at your job because a sideline reporter is supposed to be able to see the nuances of things going on on the field that people up in the booth can't and break things down. You're it's, you're right there. You're with the coaches. You're with the players. If you don't have something from a coach, maybe you could report something a player said. Do some analysis. Right? What You're did, seeing things you're, that exactly. other people watching at home can't really see and pick up on or hear. And the guys and, and gals in the booth also can't see or hear. But what those comments are doing is pushed pushes the narrative that only really attractive women who doesn't matter how much intelligence they have about the game of football are the only ones that can get sideline reporting jobs as, and that's pushing the, it's an unfair narrative, but that's what it's portraying. That's what it's perpetuating. You cannot tell me Carissa Thompson isn't a good sideline reporter. And she's making up quotes. She's on the sideline because of how she looks. She's hosting the Amazon uh, studio show because of how she looks. It has nothing to do with her ability to understand the game, report on the game, and hold herself in high regard and and integrity wise carry that mantle for women. And, and and to me, the biggest thing is so you're making up quotes. So then, why should we listen to anything that she says ever again, right? Uh, exactly. On a report, or why should we listen to you know th- this hurts the relationship between fans and the sports media like like we're here to entertain first and foremost secondarily inform but like for for people sideline reporting broadcaster you know doing play-by-play or color commentary or reporting on stories like this does not help that relationship at all the media is supposed to be kind of the 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 in-between between team personnel and players and fans and to deliver the information well now we find out she's just delivering false information. This doesn't, it's not just about sideline reporters. To me, it's overall yeah. like that you, you've created more distrust in sports media for no reason at all. 
And you look at now with Amazon, and you said off air, kind of surprised that she was on Amazon last night for Thursday Night Football. If she continues to have a job in that role, it further proves the notion that networks and leagues would much rather have an attractive woman in that role than somebody that's actually qualified to be that in that role. Is Kristen Thompson should no longer be on Amazon hosting the side or hosting the show on Thursday night football, but she likely will because she's an attractive woman. And and that's unfortunately the narrative that is being forwarded with this news. And people can fall back and say, see, it's just for getting attractive women on the sidelines for you to watch. And yeah, to a certain extent that is because what this is telling me is there are unqualified women getting these jobs over probably much more qualified women purely for looks. And, and not just women, but just in general, right? Because they're male sideline reporters. Yes. I also don't want to like discount that. You don't have to be a woman to be a sideline reporter. Uh, that's been a role that they've, they've, that's been popular and it's kind of been found over the last 20 years. And that, and I have no problem with that to, to be clear. Um, I just don't like that. This doesn't only, it's not just sending back women. I think it's setting back sports media as a whole. It's someone that high up would just casually mention something like that. And the fact that, Oh, she mentioned it before. Well, apparently it didn't get any traction because so this is getting a, was, a ton of, uh, of traction. The fact that she thought it was fine. Yeah. It's just to mention it unreal. a second time. And you hear a great story on The Athletic with Laura, Laura Oakman and Molly McGrath talking about this. Laura Oakman actually runs a, a organization called Galvanize where it helps women with boot camps and workshops and coaching for women working in sports and saying just how much this sets her organization back because she has women in that organization that are saying, well, Carissa Thompson's doing it. Is it okay for us to do it? And the answer, no, absolutely not. But when you're trying to forward a a uh, a career path and you run into this where a woman in such in such a high profile position is actively and apparently just nonchalantly throwing out that she fakes quotes is really sets the entire industry back or at least the entire sideline reporting job especially women because people already marginalize it and look at it they don't really know football they're just there because they're attractive. And to a certain extent, this kind of proves that, at least with some women, unfortunately. It's just, it's a huge, huge issue. And, you know, the average fan, they're not, I mean, sideline report is whatever. And, and, and sometimes you get good info from a coach and sometimes you don't. And it's, it's usually for a good sideline reporter, if you don't get good info out of the questions, it's not because of the questions, it's because of the coach. <laughs> it's part of the coach. But here's, <laughs> Here's what makes, just like it would make a good journalist and it makes a good sideline reporter, is you know going in as a journalist, sometimes you're like, I got to deal with this coach. I'm not going to get very much, okay? Yes. Admittedly. What you do is then find something else. It, can, it Sometimes it can be a player, but sometimes you just look at it, okay, I got to take a different angle here, and this is what I got to do. That's what makes a good journalist, what makes a good sideline reporter, makes a good columnist, whatever, is I'm not going to get what I would like out of this coach, so I have to adapt. But Carissa Thompson was had an inability to adapt. Instead, she was like, I'm just going to make it up because I know I'm not going to get anything from a coach in uh, either inability or whatever, and I'm just going to make stuff up. And and that's unprofessional, and it has reverberating impacts on the industry at large. And, and someone who's shifted to a hosting role, 
over you know a sideline reporting role for quite some time. Again, she's the host uh, for pregame, halftime, and postgame on Thursday Night Football. That that's her role now, um, and she is also with Fox Sports, uh, presenter for Fox NFL Kickoff. So she's not sideline reporting and, and hasn't done that. For oh, quite she's been some promoted. Time. She's been promoted yeah. from sideline reporter. But it's like leading these. So, but again, if if your audience can't trust you, that is a problem. It's a it's a definite issue, and I'm glad that it's it's now making the rounds because you said, well, I've said this before. It just didn't come out as publicly as it did yesterday, and bringing up the issues with it because in coming from print media and 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 you with radio is. You just don't do that. It's very, very, very unprofessional. If the precedent's being set that it's not unprofessional, all of a sudden, then that's an issue. Uh, someone texting in at 46862. Part of my take, which is the podcast uh, she said this on, uh, is the keeping up with the Kardashians of podcasts. How are people entertained by this? I- I've never listened to the podcast, I'm to be honest. And I know it's not my cup of tea because I'm not a fan of of barstool sports and their content, you know, to, to each of their own. It's just not for me. Yeah. But you had a, a veritable who's who of, of sideline reporters. When you look at Molly McGrath and Tracy Wolfson and Andrea Kramer, who's in the pro football hall of fame, all speaking out yesterday about this good, good women in, in, in their jobs speaking out against this because it, it, it perpetuates a narrative that some people buy into that these women only have, their jobs because they're attractive. Some of them seemingly like Carissa Thompson are indeed the only reason they have those jobs is because they're attractive. And the biggest thing for me is again, I'm shocked there was zero fallout right away on this. Not yet anyway, but I think the more vocal it becomes and more issue that people make it, I I think it's tough for people outside of media to understand just how big this is. Mm -hmm. And I understand that, but you just, it's something you don't do. And when you're on the biggest of the big stages, the NFL and you're on national television and you're making stuff up, making up quotes, when you're told from your first journalism class and mass media class that you do not do that, it's disappointing. Yeah. And I, I just hope something happens. Like, I, I mean, I'm not rooting for someone to lose their job, to be clear. But this is a a huge thing that is just, it's not acceptable to do, plain and simple. And and hopefully there's some sort of punishment, some sort of action. Amazon uh, declined to comment. Fox Sports declined to comment. That's not really a surprise. They're probably figuring out what to do with, with all of this. Um, but... Uh, the the damage this has done for sideline reporting and relationships between the sports media and fans, this is not helping. It's certainly hurting to a very, very large degree. It's uh, it it's not great. It it definitely is a a, a concern for sure. But we'll see if there's any fallout from this. Coming up on the other side, buzzing sound in Northern Ireland. We'll get to that story as we wrap it up here on a Friday. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up here, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on a Friday. A bizarre humming sound is taking over a Northern Ireland town. Residents say it's keeping them up at night. This is in Omag, I think, a town of about 20,000 people, 50 miles west of Belfast. Authorities uh, can't figure out what's causing it or where it's coming from. Um, but they're trying to figure out what this is. Mysterious buzzing sound, and, and people aren't able to sleep at night. That's 20,000 people live in this town. 
and they can't figure out what. And going it started on. In, in about late October when residents first noticed it, and then now it's spreading. It's twelve about twelve to one o'clock every night. The vibrating noise, real loud at night. They say. Ugh. Uh, that's why we always have a fan going on. Maybe I wouldn't be able to hear the yeah, buzzing. I, I don't know how loud I, the buzzing is. I always have a fan going on, so yes. It's like, is it like that? Is it like a hum? Here's or- the thing, because I said the situation is reminiscent of 1970s Bristol hum when hundreds of people in the UK city of Bristol reported a strange buzzing noise. After falling silent for decades, the low-level Bristol hum returned in 2016 before dissipating once more. What is going on yeah, over there? This is this is very concerning. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay on this this uh, this case. Yeah, hopefully we'll on. get some more info. Thanks for joining us for Justin Kinney. I'm Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick Show coming up next. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.